Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. I hope you're having a great morning so far. And we're going to get started with some worship. So if you're able and would like to stand, please stand. Let's sing together.
Please join with me in prayer. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Heavenly Father, as we ponder the results of the election held this past week, it serves us well to remember that our times are in your hands and that it is ultimately you who establishes those who rule. It is you who gives wisdom and it is you who gives understanding. We pray for our newly elected leaders as well as those who already serve, that they will remember that you are the source of their strength and it is to you whom they must give account, governing in a manner that is wise, just, and pleasing to you. Impress upon our hearts and theirs that to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. If God is for us, who can ever be against us, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all? Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, we pray today for your holy church, 
not made holy by our own righteousness, but by the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit who resides within us, making us temples of the Holy Spirit, vessels of your real presence that empowers us for the work that you set before us to be your witnesses, going and making disciples. Lord, as the true fountain of living water, fill us with your spirit so that the living water of your presence will flow out of us and into the communities in which you place us. Finally, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in a world of questions, let us reflect your word to be the answer. In a world of deception, we will be honest. In a world of war, we will be calm. In a world of disaster, we will be confident. In a world of persecution, we will be prepared. In a world of betrayal, we will be faithful. In a world of lawlessness, we will be kind. In a world of bad news, we will bring the good news. We will not be frightened. We will be determined. By your strength, we will live the answer. All of this we ask and proclaim in the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Lord and Savior. Amen. These military families that are mainly over at the Marine Corps Air Station, uh, Miramar, are young families. They're away from their own families, and you know, having a baby can be a little bit of a daunting experience. So we provide baskets for these families. The baby baskets are comprised of a lot of different little baby items. We have baby gowns, little onesies, little booties. We have the normal things like baby wipes or baby powder, baby lotion. And we try and give these baby baskets out every month. So it's wonderful to be able to stand in that gap for a moment to be able to donate that sort of thing to them. And they're so appreciative. The idea that others would care and have compassion, that's what Jesus wants us to be, is compassionate. We respect our service members so much because of what they do for our country, the sacrifices that they make, that we want to be able to give back. They are our neighbors, and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to bless them and to encourage them and let them know that there are people who do love them and care for them. Welcome once again to LJCC. We are so glad to see each and every one of you. Um, thanks for joining us in worshiping this morning. And just a quick reminder, uh, you should have on your way in received a bulletin on which you'll find both a connect card and a prayer card. Um, um, please take a moment, fill out that connect card, especially if you're joining us for the first time today. We'd love to know about you and, and we'd love to get you involved in the church. And also, we'd love to um, have you take a moment and fill out that prayer card. It says, let us pray for you. Let us know of any prayers you have or any praise requests. Um, and after the service, you're um, welcome to drop off these cards along with any uh, tithes and offering envelopes. Um, right by the entrance, there's a box on the wall. Please go ahead and drop those off. Um, and with that, I'd love to have Pastor Steve lead us in a message. Thanks, Janet. Hey, well, one of the great things about being a human being is how adaptable we are. We are creatively adaptable. This is part of God's design of us. Uh, think about your own life. Uh, can you think of times in your life when you have been, you've been forced to be creatively adaptable? Uh, when I was about 20, I wanted, I wanted to go see a friend. 
meet another friend. We're going to go from San Jose, California, up to far into British Columbia. Um, so we had to you know, drive 1,000-plus miles, get on a ferry, uh, drive up the inside coast of Vancouver Island, and then get in a seaplane and fly in uh, to see this buddy who was a, a fishing guide. Well, right before we left on this trip, we were gonna, I was going to take my VW Squareback. You might not even have that in your head what that looks like, but just imagine a VW, you, you stretch it out a little bit. And so we were about to go, and my starter went out. And this is a big moment of crisis because, you know, it was like outrageously expensive to get it fixed. It was like 70 bucks or something like that. So we figured that, well, when it first happened, I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, you know, I'll just jumpstart it. So I jumped out. I start pushing my car. I push it like six feet. I jump in. I pop the clutch. And it starts. I'm thinking, solved. So we did a 2,000-mile round trip driving, getting on off of ferries in a car that had to be jump-started. And I thought, this is a brilliant thing. I mean, I just saved 70 bucks. <laughs> now, this is ridiculous. If somebody had said to me ahead of time, hey, uh, I heard your starter went out. Uh, did you get it fixed before your trip? Oh, no, no, we got this thing. You know, we, we got it. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, is a, he's a coffee guy. He's a coffee broker, and he goes to Oaxaca. He goes all over the world. One time he was in Rwanda because they, they make great coffee. And he was wondering how people got things to market uh, out of the hills. And he saw these guys with wooden bikes. They had wooden bikes. They couldn't afford bikes, and they had wooden bikes, and they would put bags on it and, and wheel it down from the, the mountain. So he called up his friend who invented the mountain bike up um, in Marin County. Uh, the, the mountain bike was invented on Mount Tamalpais, basically. And he said, you've got to see this. And he brought this guy to Rwanda, and the guy said, this is awesome. So he designed a special bike, a regular you know, mountain bike, but a longer one with a heavy frame that they could put 100-pound sacks of coffee on. And then out of that created this thing, hey, why don't we raise money for these impoverished people who've come out of big disasters? And they created the Wooden Bike Classic. So it's all adaptable. Creative adaptability is one of those interesting, wonderful things about being a human being. If somebody could follow you around this next week, would they notice ways that you have become creatively adaptable in your home? or in, in your world, and that you don't even notice anymore. The fun ones are, are the funny ones, or the ones that are really uh, useful. Uh, the other part about being creatively adaptable is that we can, we can do some wild uh, adaptations. The downside is that we can creatively adapt to living a less than satisfactory life. We can creatively adapt to doing things that ultimately are inherently dysfunctional. And we get so used to it, we don't notice anymore. Can you relate to that at all? So the, the young couple that gets married and has this massive vertical growth curve of adaptability, you do what? You like what? That's how you do that? Your family did that? And you're adapting, right? You're saying, okay, let's, let's build a life together. It's really wonderful. At some point, if things that are uh, more problematic remain unaddressed, what did, what the couples drift into? A dysfunctional adaptability, a way of surviving but not thriving. Uh, this is one of the downsides about being a human being. We get stuck in ruts. Uh, do you ever feel like you need to change? Possibly. Pretty much mostly what we feel is other people need to change. That's a lot more convenient, right? If the government would just change, if this would just change, if that would just change. But for me to change, 
that's a step too far. Now you're getting personal and it's really offensive to me. Because I like being stuck in a rut. The problem with being stuck in a rut is you don't realize that a rut is just a, a, a grave with the ends kicked out. And we get it deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like the person who build, digs a hole and finds themselves stuck in the hole that they've been digging. Do you know that that's a thing now? That this is a therapeutic thing? I just read this article this week that people around the world are finding it helpful to dig holes. It gives them something to do. And this is actually a thing. If you're not doing it, you're way behind. You're out of it. This is a big FOMO moment for you, fear of missing out, that you're not around digging holes. So these people dig holes. And I'm just thinking, will we see a report some, sometime soon that somebody was rescued from the hole that they were digging you know, because they realized they couldn't get out of it anymore? This is what we do in our creative and even dysfunctional adaptability. We, we do things that at some point work against us. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about it this way in Romans chapter 7. I don't understand what I do. I don't understand what I do. And of course everybody around you hearing that says, finally... We've been understanding it. <laughs> what do you mean you don't understand it? And he goes on to say, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. We can adapt ourselves right into a place of dysfunction and frustration, and it's a dissatisfying way to live. Why would we do that? Because this is the life I know. This is a predictable life I know, and doing anything differently would be inconvenient. It might be costly. Uh, we have a tiny one of these right now in our house. A couple weeks ago, our back door, the lock wouldn't open. And it's a really great lock. Uh, and it's only like, you know, 50 years old. So, I mean, I don't know why we even have a problem. But it wouldn't work. And then later in the day, I just thought, okay, I'm going to try this thing again. And it opened. I thought, okay, obviously the lock is okay. Because it was one of those locks where you couldn't really see how to get in it to do anything with it. So now that it opened, I'm looking at it. And everything is fine. I got some WD-40. And so it's working really great. But the next day, I couldn't get it open. So uh, this went on, I hate to say it, this went on for a few days, you know, messing with it. And finally, uh, I get it open. I thought, I'm going to break the key at some point in this thing. It's not going to be good. So I thought, you know, maybe just a shot, you know, a, a solution. We live in this house that is like 90 years old. Nothing is plumb in our house. Not even the people. We stand like this, just so we can accommodate to the house. And I'm thinking, I bet this house has had some subsistence. And and so I think, I bet if I just jimmied the door a little bit. So I, this is how bad the routine has become. I, I walk to open up the back door this morning. I now pull up on it slightly. Then I turn the lock, and it opens smoothly. Now I'm just thinking about this. It's working for me. It works for Janet. What happens if we have somebody staying at our house, and we forget to tell them? Or, or they come to stay at our house, and we say, okay, just let me walk you through a few things, starting with the lock in the back door. And pretty soon we realize that we have to walk them through so many things that we have adopted ourselves to, right? Um, and that, those are, again, the kinds of things we get used to. But the things that we get used to that are holding us back, keeping us down, causing us shame and embarrassment, this is the problem of an addict. An addict doesn't start out saying, I just have not done, I, this is on my you know, to-do list, my life checking the box list. You know, uh, I want to be an addict. When people become addicted, what do they do? They build an entire world around defending against recognizing it or revealing it. This is the nature of being an addict. Why? Because I've tried to change. It didn't work. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, whether it's drugs or alcohol, sitting with young girls who are uh, starving themselves. They're addicted to an image of being skinny and 
and you're trying to, and their parents can't get through to them, and, and it's complicated. It's complicated. The Apostle Paul wasn't talking about his golf game when he wrote, I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do, I don't do, what I, what I hate, I do. He was talking about real behaviors in himself. And of course, uh, he does get it resolved. Why? How? He turns to the Lord and says, okay, Lord, I know you're going to help me and you want to help me. And so when we're caught in these situations, um, an old blues song, uh, when the levee breaks, says, uh, um, you know, praying won't help you, crying won't do you no good. And I'm thinking, bad theology. Crying is good and praying is good. The problem is, when we get into a situation where we just say, I want to deal with it, I want this to change, but superficially, we pray superficially, Lord, change this. We don't say, Lord, lead me to a process where I can engage in change. So the Apostle Paul is talking about something very personal and, and embarrassing to him, and he puts it in the Bible, it's in there forever. Thousands of years later, people are still reading his confession of, wow, I don't do what I should do, I do what I shouldn't do. And they all go, yeah, me too. It might be one of the most helpful things in the New Testament. You too? C.S. Lewis said, you know you're in the presence of a friend, a potential friend, when, they, when you discover something about them that causes you to say, you too? We all adapt in ways that are uh, not very good. Or we just give up adapting and we just hunker down and say, I'm just going to go with it. And so if, if the question, I guess, we could say is, well, if Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes a big chunk of the New Testament, if he's saved by Christ, why is he so conflicted? When I became a believer um, at the end of high school, um, uh, I thought, finally, you know, if I, if my, I, get, I get the solution to, to human depravity, you know, I mean, that continuum where we do little things we're frustrated with, and pretty soon, you know, you're doing horrific things. So there's a continuum of human depravity. Everybody has a capacity for depravity. And things that restrain us are the law or, or people in our lives holding us accountable. So most of us don't become truly depraved um, until you become a bridge player. And those people... No, but you know, you, uh, you, 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 um, you see that you have this sense that something can change. And you want it for yourself and you want it for everybody around you. So as a, as a new believer, I thought, if my parents could just become Christians, they would change. They could, say, they could fix their marriage, they could fix their family. And uh, I thought it would be like that. Because so many things changed for me when I became a Christian. It's like a, a night and day. Then I started meeting Christians who said, man, I'm making some progress in Christ. I'm down to one pack a day. Like, What? Yeah, I'm a two-pack-a-day smoker, and I've been praying about it, working on it, and I'm down to one pack a day. And I, my first thought was, well, that's a fail. And then it started to dawn on me, wait, maybe God uses all kinds of processes to help us become aligned with him and aligned with who we want to be. Maybe it's like everything else I end up doing in life. I've got to practice. I've got to be patient. I've got to be persistent. And some people were, became mentors to me. And, and uh, he was a physician, uh, she was a psychotherapist. And at one point, they said, hey, come live with us. Uh, and uh, I said, okay. So I was in college, and I was living with this, this, this family, this couple. And uh, they would have these outrageous fights. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I walked in one time, they're having this big argument. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. These are the most Christian people I know. And I said, what's going on here? And they just started laughing. They said, we're processing. 
It sounds like fighting to me. And they said, no, this is what you do in a healthy marriage. I said, what? Yeah, because we're committed to our marriage. We're committed to Christ. Uh, we're, and we're so different. They were so different that we, 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 we've, we just decided to, we, to fight it out. Not to beat each other down, but to, to bring out everything. And if it's emotional, it's emotional. If we're angry, we're angry. If we're frustrated, we're frustrated. And we talk it through, and then we pray it through, and we build our relationship that way. And I thought, that was a mind-boggling, eye-opening thing for me. I thought, wow, if my parents became Christians, it might be the rest of their life that they'd be working on this stuff. And of course, as I started to walk with Christ, I realized, it's going to be the rest of my life. Uh, A dear friend, uh, he's, he's practically living at MD Anderson, uh, he's got this really bizarre uh, form of thyroid cancer, and he, they've kept him alive for five years when everybody else in the study has died. And he's a musician, and he and, and some other people just raised $11 million for uh, MD Anderson. He's a phenomenal guy, but he was um, a couple years younger than me, and uh, I'm a new Christian a couple years into it, and I'm reaching out to him, and so we're spending time together. He becomes a believer, and, and, and we're reading the Bible and, you know, and, and praying, and and we stopped to get a burger one time. I had this little sports car and it had a rag top, and you could, I couldn't see out the back because it was all cloudy. But it was an awesome little sports car. And um, we're in this, bur- this burger place. We get the burger, and I look out and I see this skinny, skinny pole. So as I'm backing up, I see the skinny pole that I'm going to avoid. What I didn't see is the massive concrete thing that the skinny pole was in. And so I'm backing up. I was like, damn! Every possible interesting comment of words that would be profane came out of my mouth in a mellifluous, pretty much poetic stream. (laughs) I mean, this was just the most beautiful flood of prose and poetry. And 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 I'm done. I go, oh, Jeff, I'm so sorry. He goes, no, man, that was awesome. I said, what was awesome about that? I'm embarrassed. I was, you know, and he said, no, no, no. I was thinking you were perfect. You are, you are like me. <laughs> I said, I'm, of course I'm like you. He goes, no, I didn't get it. I just saw you as this guy that I was, I was admiring and looking up to, and I wanted to emulate, and, now you, and I thought, I'll never do it. And now you just show me how out of it you are like me. And it hasn't taken anything away from who you are in Christ. It's now given me hope in Christ. Now, this is mind-boggling. So what, what we find that, you know, this doesn't negate our salvation and call it into question. Oh, well, you're still doing that? I, I thought you were a Christian. Salvation does cover this, but not in a superficial, immature way. It's a much more profound thing that Paul wants us to know in terms of the resolution of this. I don't do what I should, I do what I shouldn't. And in fact, he goes on to say in his letter to the Philippians, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. He's taking me somewhere that I can't go but for him. I want to quit smoking. I want to quit cussing. I want to quit doing whatever. And it's just out of my reach, it seems. It doesn't absolve me of responsibility for my behavior. It just says there must be some other source of power to get through this. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Not that he's earning something from God. He's experiencing something in God. So spiritual growth is this lifelong process of aligning with God and living into our salvation. 
It's not making excuses and rationalizing sin. Ah, that's fine, no big deal. I'm saved. God forgives. I like to say it's an awesome relationship. The early church wrestled with this. Well, if, if we're forgiven, why can we just uh, indulge ourselves in sin? That was a very Greek mindset. Greek, the Greek Gnostic Platonic philosophy that still permeates our culture is that it's a, it's, it's a mind-body dichotomy, a spiritual material dichotomy. Spiritual things are here, material things are here. I can do whatever the hell I want to do. I can believe things that don't have any correspondence to what God has revealed. I can do things that constantly contradict what he, he's about because he'll forgive me and it's cool. It's not cool. The early church said, no, that's a heresy. That's a distortion of the truth. We're supposed to be engaged in this process of transformation. Not that we can seize it on our own, but we get to participate fully in it because Christ is taking us somewhere good. God is perfect and does not need to change, but we do. If it's salvation, maybe a new creation of Christ, yes. And now you're going to see the full development of that. It doesn't mitigate our need to grow or hold it back. It propels us into a process of growth uh, that it's, it's, it's progress now, perfection later. So we don't have to pretend we're perfect. As Jeff said, you're not perfect. Yeah, no, I'm not perfect. But I'm in a process with the living God. I love the way Malachi quotes God. I, the Lord, do not change. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God does not change. Now, if you look in the Bible and you see instances where it says God changed his mind, put it in context, and that's a whole other conversation, but God does not change. We can count on him. And because he does not change, uh, he knows all things. That is, he doesn't need new information to go, oh, didn't see that, didn't know that. He knows everything. So one of the ways that people have talked about him is he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, he knows everything. He's omnipresent, he can be everywhere at the same time. Not as in a pantheistic, he's in all things, contained by things, but he's present. So here's the first big idea of the morning. Throughout our life, we need ongoing realigning with God, ourselves, and others. This is a normative part of our walk with Christ, this constant realignment with him, coming back to, into alignment with him. Alignment and realignment is putting something into a new or correct position, right? We know that. We're familiar with that. If something is out of alignment, it doesn't work very well. Um, and we experience it as in life is working, then it isn't. We feel connected to people, then we don't. We get distracted, so what do we do? You can just forget about it, or you can refocus on what you know is the most important thing you're supposed to be doing. I mean, careers are built on helping us with this. Consultants, coaches, mechanics, lawyers, therapists are all people who are going to say, let me help you get back into alignment. What does a vocal coach do? Mock you because you're singing sharp or flat? No, they say, hey, we're going to realign your vocal cords uh, to this, this, this pitch. You think it's flat or sharp. It's 550 cycles per second. It should be 500. You know, it, they become very analytical about it and say, I can help you realign or, or properly for the first time align your voice. Every, every singer realizes, I don't do this. I'm going to ruin my vocal cords. The power of simplicity is growing in this Christ-like self-awareness. The Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. Paul says, set your mind on these things, whatever is excellent, whatever is good. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's not just a superficial, uh, I have a new idea. You know, this is a guy thing. Guys typically, I mean, I hate to say it's just a guy thing, it's a people thing, but guys are much, very comfortable saying, hey, we talked about it, we must have dealt with it. And the woman in their life is saying, we did talk about it, but we have not dealt with it. And if you have a person who's conflict averse, they're like, uh, I'd rather get to the resolution, but without having to deal with the problem. Ah, denial, that's a good resolution, right? No, not. Alignment is the only proper solution. An analogy, uh, again, in, temp- in terms of you know, uh, what this awareness looks like. Great dancers, golfers, athletes, I said singers, develop this mindful bodily self-awareness. We need that. Uh, otherwise, uh, we don't function at our highest capacity. Now, we walk around all day long aligning things. If you're walking through your house and you see a picture frame off, you go, oh. Sometimes you're in somebody else's house and you go, oh, that's not, let me fix that for you. You, you start, you, you turn the hose on, it's not working, you unkink the hose. You know, so we're constantly uh, doing this. So it's part of who we are. We understand this. <clears throat> Everything benefits from realignment. Uh, sails, if you're sailing, <laughs> uh, tires, uh, teeth, bones, hair, posture. One winter, I took my new country, cross-country skis up to San Jacinto. You can take the tram up there. Have you ever done that? It's awesome. And you can, you can hike or ski. In winter, you're skiing in the backcountry. And my skis were doing funky things, and I realized they're out of alignment. I just got these, these skis, and they put, they put the little thing that you know you, you clips your boot down just off a little bit. It was, so, it was horrible, ter- terrible. And I was going to do this longer trip in the High Sierra, so I'm thinking, oh, thank goodness I did this little mini trip. And so I went back, and they realigned them properly, and then I went to, I, to the High Sierra, and it was still horrible because now I'm just a lousy cross-country skier. But my skis were perfectly aligned. I had no more excuse to say, this is not working well. Now it's not working well because you don't really know what you're doing very well. Um, and so this alignment thing is super important. Throughout our life, we need ongoing realigning with God, with ourselves and with others. Do not feel like it's a fail in your marriage if you have to stop and get some realignment. Do not feel like it's a mistake that you became a follower of Jesus because things aren't working. That just shows you where you are and where you need to grow. When you come into those places where you're, you're not doing what you want to be doing, you're doing what you shouldn't be doing, instead of calling it a fail and quitting, you say, Lord, this is where I pray you'd meet me. If this is happening in your marriage, Lord, this is where we need you to meet us in our marriage. If this is happening as a parent, Lord, this is where you need to meet us in our family as we work this stuff through. Because just when you think you understand that kid, they grow and change. They move into a new phase. And you're aligned for that former phase, and you're misaligned for the new one. And if you try to force it, it worked when you were two, why doesn't it work when you're 10? It worked when you were 12, why doesn't it work when you're 18? You know, you're going to be frustrating yourself and that person. Second point then is, where could you use some realignment in your life right now? Perhaps you've been thinking, gosh, there's some things I'd like to realign. Now, some things are no longer realignable. Some things, the way our bodies change or the way some circumstances change, you have to say, I've got to adapt to this situation. At that point, your alignment or your realignment looks like this. Lord, I'm in this new situation. Uh, I know these things are not going to change. I'm not going to have the money I once had. I don't have the the physical health I once had. So Lord, how do you want to meet me here and help me align, realign? 
Mary Rule is uh, up in Whittier today celebrating her father's 100th birthday. Is that awesome? Uh, there's lots of things he used to do. I was telling the band, he's, he, was a, he was a great guitar player and a yodeler. He was a phenomenal skier. He was a, he, this guy, one of the, he's like a renaissance man, all the stuff he could do. He doesn't do those anymore. Is life over? No. He's made life livable even to the age of 100. It's a delight being with him. So where do you need some realignment in your life right now? Maybe the people around you are doing horrible things that's making life horrible for you, and you can't change them. Well, maybe you need to change the way you understand how you can relate to them. And in the most extreme situations, sometimes you need to change out that relationship. An example of this would be, is, is divorce okay? Divorce is always against God's will. Having said that, sometimes divorce is, is necessary. Well, you just said, I know what I said. But even Jesus said, you know, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart. At some point you realize if somebody's abusing you, get out of that relationship. Get some distance and maybe you can repair the relationship. You can realign it. Maybe you can't. If somebody is creating danger in your home to you or your children through drugs or alcohol, you need to separate yourself from them and help them in a way that like a lifeguard helps a drowning person, you don't get pulled under. So do you see how creative this is? To say, to call out, to name in your life, I need alignment. I need realignment. And, and let God meet you there and bring the resources you need. Are there behaviors and attitudes you want to change? Are, are your values reflected in your behavior? Do you even know what your values are? Have you ever sat down and said, these are my values? To say, well, whatever I need to do to get through the day is my value. No, you can't have a value du jour. The value of the day. You need to have a clear sense of your values. This is some hard work. Why don't we do this with kids as they're growing up in schools, for example, if, if it doesn't happen in families? Schools would say, let's talk about your values. Instead of saying, hey, whatever your values are, that's okay. Because lots of other places in life, we don't say it's okay. Why don't values stopping at stop signs? Uh, sorry about that. And if you keep doing it, we're not only going to find you, we're going to take your license away. So do you know what your values are? Do you know what your priorities are? Well, my priority is to get through the day, to survive, to hold on to what I have. No, no. What is your priority? Your priorities are bigger than just, you know, convenience things. They'll, they'll affect the things that are convenient or inconvenient, but if you don't have a value and a priority of your values, what is the most important thing I need to do? Uh, life is going to always feel like it's just out of reach. And so are your beliefs and your behaviors properly aligned? Uh, what decisions and plans must your behavior align with? What do you really want to do that you need to then say, I need to make some changes here. If I, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to do that. Or because I want to do that, what are the things I'm going to have to do to adapt? I read about a, a guy coming back from um, being a soldier, uh, lost his arm to an IED, and tried all kinds of different things, and decided to become a, a computer guy. I'm thinking, you need two hands, don't you, to do computers? No, apparently you don't. There's all kinds of adaptable ways for this guy now to be, he now the guy's an IT guy. Johnny Erickson Tata, you maybe know that name, dove in a lake and broke her neck 40 years ago, and she learned how to paint with a paintbrush in her mouth. 
and, and her, the last 40 years have been this amazing ministry of helping people who have disabilities that they didn't know that there was any way to overcome. So our salvation is rooted in Christ, and we confess Jesus as our Lord. Why? Because it's a relationship, and relationships uh, require a commitment. They aren't static, they're dynamic. They can get better, they can get worse. And so we turn to Jesus in faith, and we keep turning to Jesus as we grow in faith. We keep realigning with him. And then this becomes the model for every other relationship we have. Because if we're rooted in Christ, if the God of the universe is in relationship with us, we can say, okay, teach me, lead me, guide me. How do I, help? How do I deal with forgiveness in this part of my life, giving it or receiving it? How do I deal with frustrations over here? And as we turn to the Lord, that becomes a model. And so this act of turning uh, uh, to the Lord is expressed in this Greek word, metanoia. It's a, it's a meta, uh, to change, noia, nous, mind, to change your mind, to transform your mind, to transform your thinking. And so that's often translated repentance. Uh, metanoia is repenting. That's a, that's a good translation, but it's not the best translation of that word. Because repenting, you know, doesn't, what does that mean? I feel sorrowful for my sin. Right, yeah. It's, but more to the point, what it is, is it's, it's realigning. It's returning. It's rethinking. It's reforming. So that's what repentance is. It's a turning toward and saying, how can I be properly aligned in this situation, in this relationship? If we start with the Lord, we're constantly realigning, realigning with the Lord. And we realize there's no shame in that. There's only ongoing salvation, right? And the word sanctification is just how salvation works out over time. So salvation is this big concept. We're made right with God. We're saved. But the ongoing reality and functional implementation of that is we're being sanctified, being set apart for our, our, our intended purpose. That has to be fully alive. Enjoying God now and forever. Enjoying life even in a fallen world. So it basically, this idea of, of changing our mind integrates our thinking with our behavior. And it puts us in play to say, maybe I'm missing some things. Maybe some things I've assumed that I shouldn't be assuming. Maybe I don't know everything. And even when people say, I've done everything I know, that's true. God bless you for doing everything you know. Maybe there's, there's some things you don't know. Why would I pay somebody to counsel me? I'm going to pay him to basically borrow my watch and tell me what time it is. I can handle my own finances. I can handle this. I can, maybe you can. I, I, in that sports car, I talked about backing into the pole and cussing all over the place because I dented it. Uh, I, that's the same sports car when I took it to the mechanic, who's a friend of mine. He said, do you work on your own car? I said, oh, yeah. I'm, like, oh, I'm proud. Yeah, of course. And he said, how about this? You fire your mechanic presently. And I'll do the work at a discounted rate. Really? Yes, really. Because it's more work for me with you doing the work before you come see me. Sometimes this change is 180 degrees. I've been going to, this way. I really need to turn all the way around. That's why the repentance model is so powerful. Repenting. I'm going to hell of my own making. I need to turn and go toward the kingdom of God of his making. Sometimes, though, it's just a lot of small changes. It's a, it's, it's a reversing course sometimes. Other times, it's just making small corrections, realigning rather than reversing. It's like spiritual orthodonture. 
Sometimes you have to have orthodontia because, hey, there's a serious problem. If you don't address it, you're going to have big problems later. Or it's a cosmetic thing. And it's usually a combination of both. Pretty much everybody can benefit from orthodontia. Everybody can benefit from being constantly aligned and realigned in their walk with God. And so this is where Paul resolved it for himself. He, he says in Romans 7, 25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. His confession led to his repentance. That is to say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus, and I'm confessing it's not working very well. His repentance within that relationship of being saved was a realignment. Ah, I get it. God is the one who's doing this work in me. I need to be paying attention to him. At one point, Paul said, I prayed three times for a particular weakness to be taken from me because it was really bugging me. And God said, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to answer that prayer. I'm going to let you have that weakness because my strength is perfected in the midst of your weakness. Now, we don't think it was a moral weakness. We think this was a weakness that, that was a health thing. Hey, I could be, if I was stronger, I could do more for your kingdom. And God was basically saying, Paul, I can do my kingdom work in you in any capacity you bring to me. So we're being delivered and we're being developed by Jesus as we turn to him and learn to abide in him. We humbly submit ourselves to a disciplined process, reading his word, learning how to talk to him in prayer, learning how to discern what's going on in us and around us, learning how to get in touch with what we are experiencing, how we're feeling. A a, a couple I know uh, are going through a really, really, really hard time. Uh, their 24-year-old son on Sunday past, a week ago, uh, drove his motorcycle into a bridge abutment um, at about 75 miles an hour. And everything that could be broken and damaged is broken and damaged, and he's at USC uh, Trauma Center. And this couple is, is, is in a situation where they're out, completely out of control in terms of they can't do anything. Multiple surgeries, and every aspect of it, from brain to his limbs. And so what, what, what is the challenge for them to be aligned properly? It's to give themselves permission to cry, to grieve. But he's still alive. I'm not going to go to loss. Well, there's a loss. A 24-year-old with that kind of damage just has a long road to go to recover. And any number of things can happen along the way, infections, etc. So in those situations, what do you do? You're saying, Lord, help me to feel what I need to feel. Help me to pray. Help me to accept the reality of what's going on. Help me to be present. Right? It's all of a sudden you realize, man, in any situation you can think of, this aligning process is profoundly core to who we are and how we navigate life. You never get it together and say, yeah, I used to have to redo that, but I'm beyond that now. We will continually do this until the day we meet Jesus face to face. And the good news is this. This healthy self-awareness of the Father's love then supports humble selflessness toward others. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians saying, you know, we're comforted by God in ways that allow us to comfort others. We become sensitized not only to God's incredible love for us, but we become then sensitized to our capacity to love and care for other people. You see, this idea of relying isn't just for your benefit. It's a blessing that ripples from you into the lives of your children. Mom and Dad, thank you for getting counseling. Mom and Dad, why didn't you get counseling? Why did you put us through that? Uh, we were embarrassed. It was expensive. We didn't think it would work. 
Well, what you did didn't work, so I don't know how it could have been worse trying the other alternative. You see the ripple effect of blessing. When a person comes alive in Christ, when a mugger comes alive in Christ and a carjacker comes alive in Christ, when a, when a person who's doing things to pray on other people comes alive in Christ and becomes aligned with him, do you think there's not a massive ripple effect socially? There's always a social impact as we grow in our relationship with Christ. That's the beauty of it. It's not just a personal, private, spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that always has a social impact. So the Holy Spirit empowers and equips us to navigate the world that God is redeeming in Christ. If we don't realign, we're withholding, we're grieving, we're putting off the Holy Spirit's work. We're denying that we need God's ongoing presence in our lives. I don't know how we came to this conclusion. Because what happens, especially you see in the Western world, Europe and the United States, by coming to that conclusion, uh, we've said, I guess it's irrelevant. I really don't need God anyway. I'll take it from here. And so what we need to come back to is not a sense of dependency that makes us irresponsible. Oh, God will take care of it. But a sense of dependency saying, Lord, I know you're doing a work in me, not only to bless me, but to bless people through me. Like what he said to Abraham, you will be blessed to be a blessing. Well, how is my brokenness going to be a blessing? As you let Christ meet you there and you lean into that and see all the possible array of solutions, uh, you will be a net blessing. You know, you can be unconditionally loved and not bless a person. That's, that would be sad and pathetic. Did you not know you were unconditionally loved by your mom and dad? Yeah, but I did that anyway. What a heartbreak. Did you not know that you're unconditionally loved by God and you didn't ever move into the relationship and see where it could go? No. I was scared, I was lazy, I was whatever. You go, whoa, what a heartbreak. It's like the lady, a true story, sounds ridiculous, the lady uh, uh, who saved up a bunch of money, she's on her own, she's, she's you know, advanced in age and thinks, I've always wanted to go on a cruise, saves her money, goes on the cruise, comes back, and a friend said, hey, how was the cruise? Oh, it's phenomenal. Hey, the food was fabulous, wasn't it? Well, you know, I was concerned about the price of everything, you know, so I brought my own food. You what? Yeah, yeah, I packed some food and power bars and had a bunch of stuff that I, I would just nibble on that. And they, no, 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 they have buffets, they have all these meals day or night, you know. I had no idea, I didn't want to, I, I, I couldn't afford that. No, it's part of the price of admission. So our salvation says this is the full access you have. And so Paul says this to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. What? Your life and doctrine, what's he talking about? Your doctrine is what you believe. Your life is what you do with what you believe in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so watching your life and doctrine simply means aligning them with God's life-giving values and God's life-changing priorities. You become a disciple of Jesus, a student of you, in the company of fellow travelers. And we cheer each other on. How's that going with you? So to this day, if I talk to Jeff, how's it going with that profanity? He wouldn't say that. But you know, he could say, hey, hey you know, uh, that profanity thing, how's that working for you? you know, well, it's fine because I got rid of the car. You know. So it's fine because God's given me alternatives, and yet sometimes I find myself finding that profanity is an effective way of expressing my emotions. Not very, but it seems like a good idea at the time, right? 
You never outgrow your need for this ongoing realignment. So watching our, our life and doctrine closely isn't just being obsessed with you and how you're doing, but saying, hey, if, if there's a big gap that I'm seeing, I wonder what God wants to do to fill that gap, to narrow that gap. If you've ever been to London, you know the refrain in the tube, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Don't fall in the gap. So the final point is this. Growing in Christ is simple but not simplistic. It's simple but not simplistic. Sometimes it feels really, really hard. Growing involves groaning. (laughs) The psalmist in Psalm 13 says this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? When am I going to get it together? Simplistic thinking is not accepting or understanding the complexity and difficulty of something. Everything is simple if you don't have to do it. But once you try doing it, you realize the complexity. So where do, you, where do you go? If you start with simplistic, oh, it must be easy, and immediately you deal with the complexity, you go, oh, I'm, I'll forget this. If you hang in there through the complexity, what do you get on the other end of that? Simple. Simplistic, going through complexity, brings us to simple. How do you do that, Craig? How do you play that guitar like that? Simple. I just practice eight hours a day for years on end. I take lessons. I review my techniques. I... I I tried different kinds of music, and it's simple. Yeah, it's a simple thing, but he had to work through a lot of complexity. So Jesus will provide what we need to do this through his resurrection and Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter says it this way, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And it's not by seeing him, it's by, by believing in him. You don't see him. And so you get these verses like you know, uh, John saying, Quoting Jesus, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Paul says to the Corinthians, we walk by faith and not by sight. The writer of Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. We don't see the end point, but we can experience the progress in Christ that we can make in the company of his people, guided by his word, empowered by his Holy Spirit. This is, gives, this is what gives us credibility. Not our perfection, but our profession. It's Jesus. It's Christ in you that gives you this hope. So instead of presenting ourselves to the world as, you know, we've arrived, we have something you need to know desperately. We get to say, you know, this is what I'm learning from the living God. Maybe this could be helpful to you. Well, I don't know if I believe that stuff. Yeah, I wish I could explain it to you better. All I know is that I'm experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control where I didn't have them before. I wish I could explain it better, but it's because somehow Christ is in me that this is happening in me. And it's kind of a three steps forward, one step back thing, but he's faithful. <clears throat> so I love the way um, Jude, uh, Jude Jesus' half-brother, said it. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And so we contend for the faith by tenaciously aligning ourselves with the new life God provides for us. That's all it is. To contend with the faith, this is going, I'm going to beat the faith into people. I'm going to mug them in the name of Jesus. Contending is simply saying, hey, what if I was aligned with Christ? What would that look like in me and through me? 
And we stay aligned with Jesus by faithfully abiding in him, secure in the faith entrusted to us. I might lose my grip. I am in his grip. That's the secret to living a simple and satisfying life in a difficult and complex world. The power of simplicity is simply that. We keep turning to Christ. And as we turn to him, he then says, now, together, let's turn and face the world you're living in and see what we can do there. I'll leave you with this. These are wise words from the Apostle Peter. Oh, and by the way, if you want to read a book, read this book by Cloud and Townsend, How People Grow. Over the years, we've, we've, we've encouraged people to read that. We've had John Townsend here on a number of occasions talking about that book. Powerful book, very practical way of saying, hey, this is what it looks like to integrate your, your doctrine and your life. I'll leave you with these words from Peter. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Glory is shining on you. God's glory is shining on you and lighting up your way. And the full glory that we'll expect uh, in the resurrection and the new heaven and new earth is just around the corner. So hang in there. Don't despair. It's working. He's working. Uh, And maybe it's time for us to get to work. And, and being more intentional and deliberate about leaning into that and letting it uh, be the normative way that we approach our life. So Lord Jesus, I, I pray that this would be true for us, that we learn to align with you and then continually realign with you, and that this would be a habit and a pattern that would work into all of our relationships, that you give us the conviction uh, of the gospel, this good news, the confidence that comes with knowing you and being known by you, the incredible love and grace that you pour into us and want to release through us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for holy people who mentor us and guide us and accept us where we are and walk with us where you want us to go. So I pray this for me and for everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. So take a few moments, and uh, this is an offering time. That is not the time to give money. Give money in, a, in you know, if you want to walk, put some in the box or send it in. But this is an offering time of you to God. Make this an offering time as you hear the music, as you worship him, this final song. And uh, I'll come back and give a, a, a benediction, a blessing in just a moment. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. 
Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. heart? Does it not cause you to open your heart and your mind and say, okay, Lord, bring it on. I want this. 
if this is what you have died on the cross to give me, if this is what you've risen from the dead to make possible for me, if this is why you've sent your Holy Spirit, that I could walk in your love, unshaken on a firm foundation, yes, I want this. If you're discouraged today, uh, that's where God wants to meet you. If you're hard-hearted today, that's where he wants to meet you. If you're questing and curious and wondering what's next and how do I put these ideas together, I don't understand it, that's where he wants to meet you. If, if everything is working so perfectly well, you think, I am so convinced, I can't wait to tell the world, that's where he wants to meet you. He's with you, he's for you. Let him take you that next step, wherever that is. And we'll do everything we can to help you in that process. Uh, if you... Um, could benefit, all of us can, but if, if today in particular you think, I would love to have somebody pray for me or for something I'm concerned about, go right out around the corner to the lovely garden in the front and uh, somebody will be there to pray with you or for you. Uh, get something to eat over here and then come back at 11 and we're going to do this 35-minute uh, like uh, thing called uh, Conversations. But it's, this, this conversation is, is built around the Alpha Course. 20 million people have watched this Alpha Course, so we've been looking at these installments. Uh, this course that was created in London. Um, today we're talking about, hey, how do you resist evil? How do you deal with evil in the world? So it's, it's, a, it's a lightweight one. But come back and we're going to have a conversation about that. Uh, in the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, shining his love and glory on you. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him one day at a time now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.